This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. I am incredibly excited about today's episode. Uh, giddy as a schoolgirl, you might say, <laughs> for two reasons. One is that I think secretly I still harbor this hope that I will have a second career as a rock star. Uh, so people who <laughs> have made a career in music are always inspiring to me. And two, from the, the first moment I a friend sort of pushed me to, to try doing a podcast and I thought, well, what would I talk about? Who would I talk with? Our guest today was one of the first people that came to mind, and it has been a long time since I started the podcast, relatively speaking, uh, but finally, we have with us today uh, Lucas Jack, who is a musician, who has a fascinating and really, I think, um, inspiring backstory, and not only that, I grew up with this guy, so uh, we, we both grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in kind of a conservative community, and Luke was always at a piano. I mean, he would find a piano like anywhere we were. Somehow he would find some dusty piano in a closet and start playing like love ballads and taking requests from everybody from age like, I don't know, 10. And uh, one quick story, Luke, before I before I let you get speak <laughs> is we, we were at some kind of a, it was some kind of a like retreat or like men's Bible thing with some sort of really conservative church. And it was, and it was uh, my brother and I, and you and your brothers and your dad. And we were waiting for everyone to, to board this bus. And we're in this church and, and Luke finds a piano and he starts banging away and singing. And his dad rushes over and he's like, Luke, you can't sing bar music in here. This is a church. It was, it was amazing. Always the rebel. So Lucas Jack, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Isaac. That was quite a long setup, but I want to get to you. Um, tell us, kind of to start with, from a very young age, you were very passionate about music and piano. I don't know if you taught yourself or you had lessons, but were you? did you plan from a young age to have a career in music? Uh, you know, I, I never really did. Uh, I, I It just didn't, it, for some reason, did not register as a... Uh, <clears throat> as even being on the radar of possibilities. Uh, the only thing, the only thing that was really on my radar is, you know, we kind of had a sheltered existence a little bit. The only thing that was really on my radar was people that played music in churches. So like worship leaders and ministers and stuff like that. And I had, um, absolutely zero interest in doing that. <laughs> so I, I didn't really consider it as an option, but I always really loved playing. And I, I, I wrote songs, you know, I've been writing songs since I was like five or six years old. And I did take piano lessons uh, for many, many years up, up and through college. So I was I was classically trained. But at the beginning of my uh, lessons, I remember I wrote, um, I would write songs that were much cooler sounding and much better than the stuff I learned in recital for the recital. So for mo like several of several recitals that I have, my teachers just said, why don't you just play that song you wrote? It just sounds so much better than what, <laughs> cause I wasn't a, I wasn't also was not a great student, but, uh, so I've been writing songs forever and I really always enjoyed writing songs, including lyrics, but I never really let myself have that sort of dream, if you will. It was sort of like, I also knew I wasn't going to play in the NBA you know, it, well, but I mean, back, you know, back in those days, you were not only the most talented musician, but you were the best basketball player in our circles. So you were the one we were all pinning our hopes on for the NBA. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you had, you knew it wasn't going to happen. So 
I mean, I'm looking at my parents and my brothers, and yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't cut out for the for the NBA. But uh, it was sort of like that. It was sort of pipe dreamish like that, um, and I didn't really focus on it too much. Even though I played music all the time, I I, I think of myself as not being. I think, oh, I wasn't that musical because I didn't go to all kinds of record stores and have a great collection and have my favorite bands and go to concerts and have posters and do all this stuff and be part of fan, you know, get fan mail or any any of that kind of stuff or send fan mail. But I still was really into music. I was playing music basically every day and singing and listening to music. Uh, so I was, you know, I was really involved with music, but I guess wasn't the cool kid music. It was kind of like, you know, churchy music or or top 40 stuff. Uh, but so I never really had a plan to go into it full time. And I, and so I, it just didn't come to fruition. Well, it, let's be clear. If I recall, it was more like top 40 from 10 or 15 or 20 years previously. Everyone else was, you know, talking about whatever puff daddy and you were playing like Jackson Brown and journey. <laughs> uh, I was playing stuff that, that, that have, that had piano in it. That, that's, that's totally true. I was definitely more into the, into the easy rock stuff. I did listen to WKFR a lot, which had the top 40, but uh, that was mostly in high school before that. Yeah, I was, I was, I was hardcore into mom rock. <laughs> so, all right, I want to, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I want to talk about where you're at now. Um, and you know, sort of describe your music, your, what, what you do briefly, and then we'll kind of go in and backfill a little bit more how you got there. So, uh, lucasjackmusic.com, by the way, I should have said at the outset, um, is where you can go find all kinds of great, um, songs, information about, uh, about Lucas Jack and, Tell us, like, how would you describe your style and um, kind of your, I don't know, where you're at sort of on the scene right now? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I sit at a piano and I and I sing. So that's that kind of puts me in a certain category, at least in people's minds. I, you know, I'm not jumping around the stage and I'm not playing a guitar. I, I have an old upright piano that I play at every show. And... Uh, it's in a lot of it's in all my videos. I play the same piano in every video. So I'm sitting at a piano singing. So it's it you know for whatever reason that kind of puts me into a p- piano category. Everybody calls it piano rock or piano pop. So I guess the best way to describe the music is it's what pop popular rock like pop rock was in the 70s. Hmm. There were a lot of like like you said like Jackson Brown and Leon Russell and. Mark Cohn a little bit later, but even Paul McCartney when he sat at a piano. And Billy, obviously Billy Joel, Elton John, um, Bruce Hornsby, those guys, they all sat at a piano and sang. So I, I'm kind and, and that used to be pop rock. That used to be kind of considered, you know, pop rock. But now pop rock is, you know, Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and Rihanna. So pop is, you know, I'm not I'm obviously not very pop anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, with today's music industry so fragmented there are so many genres because people can consume music in very particular particularized ways they can find exactly what they want and they can be in constant connection with that kind of music because of all the outlets because of spotify and pandora and you know and facebook and twitter and youtube and soundcloud and all of these services that now there are just a million categories of music so it's it it makes it even harder than than it ever has been, I guess, to kind of figure out where you fit in the spectrum. But it also makes it easier for fans that are into your kind of music to find you. So it's a little bit of a double edged sword. But I guess I would consider it kind of pop rock. And at this point, I'm in I'm in Texas right now, um, in San Antonio, and I play uh, I play about three or four times a week. Um, and you, you know, you once... play across the country 
correct? I, or is that sort of just limited seasons? Uh, it is, you know, I mean, I do, I go on tour a couple times a year and we go, we just got back from the, uh, from the Midwest. So I primarily am a regional act. I primarily stick around Texas. I mean, t- to, to be fair, Texas is huge. So <laughs> if, I mean, if I was, if I was someplace else, I'd probably be in like, be playing in three or four different States. But I, I drive, I have about a seven or eight hour radius that I did I play. And in Texas, that's a lot of places. Yeah. So so Dallas and Austin and Houston and Corpus Christi and San Antonio and Bernie. Oh, and there and, and many other places, Fredericksburg, all, all a, a whole lot of towns around here. So I kind of am a regional act and we go on tour of the Midwest, you know, obviously where I'm from. Uh, like twice a year. So we just got back from doing 12 dates in 11 different states in August. We were gone for almost a month. Wow. And uh, including a couple shows in Michigan. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I kind of play, you know, 12 shows a month. And uh, most of them are within six or seven hours of my house. And, uh, and then a couple times a year, we go on a big regional tour of the Midwest. Okay. So now you are a full-time musician. You also have a family. Uh, you're married and you have a, a daughter. How old is your daughter? I've got two daughters. You've one got of them two are, daughters. Okay. I thought got, you, yeah, go ahead. I definitely have one. <laughs> that that was the one I was sure about. And then I knew you had another <laughs> child. I couldn't remember if it was a boy or a girl. Yeah, no, I, I have two daughters. Clementine is two and a half and Josie is, is a little over one. She just turned one. Okay. So, and they are, yeah, one or two. And my wife, Julie is, uh, she is a major in the, uh, air force. Okay. Okay. So that's where you are now. And I want to kind of go back and backfill from, from someone who in your teens didn't really see a career in music as necessarily an option or something that you, you treated real seriously. Uh, you went to college and what was your sort of life trajectory at the time? So I went to college and I did I did study music in college. I took I was kind of had a half plan to double major in music and something else. And I dropped that after a while because it just became too much work. But I, I did take a lot. I always t- I took piano lessons every day and, you know, every year, every semester in college. And I also went to college on a, on a choir scholarship. So I sang in the choir every, you know, all four years of college. So I was around the music there. But I didn't again, did not really plan. I was I did the music because I got you know, money for it. And I enjoyed it, but I didn't have a plan to have a career. I did. I briefly thought about being a cruise ship piano player. Uh, <laughs> no, that would be kind of an interesting gig. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a soul sucker, but I know some people that have done it. Uh, and I knew a guy that I went to college with that did it. So that, that crossed my mind for, you know, a brief second, but I never went followed through with it. I went to college thinking I was going to get a business degree and then become a business person sort of like my father was. So I got a so I got a degree in accounting. Um, I did not know you had an accounting degree. Uh, I, I guess do. there's a there's a connection there between the accountants use ten keys and you use the eighty eight keys. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there's something there. Next no, of the fingers. Uh, I I don't think there is any. Connection. <laughs> Other than I'm really good at counting how much money I don't have now. <laughs> Maybe it's a curse when you're a musician to be good I've, at counting. I've got great. You know what I will say. Uh, I do, I do all my own books and all my own taxes and, uh, there are a lot of write-offs that musicians can take. There so. you go. So, so even though you were playing some side gigs, you were doing some, uh, I remember you played at like hotel lobbies and stuff here and there, and you were on a music scholarship, you were still focused on, okay, I'm going to go into business of some kind. Yeah, I basically, I thought that was going to happen. I, 
I was I was kind of also focused on finding a uh, a lady that wanted to spend some time with me. <laughs> so I, I I didn't see music as being a long term, you know, way to satisfy that desire that I had, because, you know, I thought I thought I needed to. It, it was know, the opener. It was the way to get the ladies, but you needed an income to keep them, right? Exactly. Yeah. It was like here I'm I'm cool, but I also have money. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so it was kind of driven by, driven by more practicality. Um, and also some of some, some old gender norms, I guess, uh, the, the breadwinner, the breadwinner kind of stuff. So I went to, I went to college and I got a, you know, degree in accounting and then it came time for going to job fairs and doing all that stuff. And I had some interviews and I just thought, oh man, I do not want to be an accountant. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing with Comerica and some some accounting firms, and I just, I thought, you know, I'm really good at being a student. Uh, so, and I also like the student lifestyle a lot, which is pretty wonderful. So I'll just keep being a student, and I'll go to law school. Everyone says I'm so argumentative. <laughs> I thought, oh, I thought that's that's just that's just not a very nice way to talk about lawyers. But I, then I became a lawyer, and it's true, they're all just argumentative assholes. <laughs> I'm glad to know that my perceptions have not been incorrect. So, so you went to law school pretty much because you didn't like what was on the job market and you thought, well, I like being a student. I'm pretty sharp. I like to argue. Why not? This will give me a good income. Yeah. Kind of the same, it's the same decision over again. The same reason I went to college. Also, I wanted to move to a new city and I wanted, you know, so I moved to Chicago, went to law school there. It was a great experience. I'm really glad I did that. But yeah, I just kind of, you know what, I was propelled by the inertia of safe choices. And I knew that I was a good student. I knew, I mean, I knew I could compete. I was really competitive. So I would get good enough grades. And if you get good enough grades and you go to law school, I mean, the, the assumption is you're going to end up a little bit better than people that don't. That was the assumption. I know that's not always true anymore, but that's the assumption that I went on. And I thought, you know, I, and, that, and that's exactly what happened. In fact, I got, I, I got pretty good grades in law school and I, I got a pretty good job and let, let me yeah, ask everything you, played out. Well, let me ask you briefly, uh, by the way, I love that quote propelled by the inertia of safe choices. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, so considering that, and we'll get to how this happened, that you're not practicing law anymore and that you, you obviously preferred music to it. What was it about going to law school? Cause I can imagine a lot of people who w went to law school and didn't end up using a law degree regretting that decision, but you said it was actually a great experience going to, to Chicago and going to law school. What was the, what was it about that decision or that experience that made it, um, a really great one for you? Well, you know, I guess, I guess that my answer would be different if I had met no one and, and nothing good happened to me in those years, you know, if then, then I would say, yeah, I shouldn't have done it. But basically the reasons that I am glad I did is because I met all the people that I met. I met, obviously I met my wife and I met a bunch of my really great friends and I had some, you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot in law school. I learned a lot practicing law and uh, it was nice to be uh, a professional in what kind of feels like in a little bit of an elite group. That was, you know, that was, that, that was fulfilling as a, as a young guy who had never really had a real job to then be a lawyer. It felt, it felt kind of cool at first that, that wears out pretty quickly, but all those things were, I think really positive. And I also, I had money, you know, I was able to do things that were fun in the city and you have were, nice you were in a, you were in a big city from coming from a, a small town. And I know you, you went to college in a small town going to Chicago. Was that, was that just awesome for you? It was totally awesome. I really, 
wish that I had gone to undergrad someplace in a big city because I, I really I really, really love love the city. But I, I didn't. It was good. It was a good decision for me. If if I had no if I had uh, no student loans that still remain outstanding, <laughs> then then I would say it was absolutely the, the greatest thing in my life. I had so much fun. And people ask, well, if you had to do it again, would you go back and just be playing music from the start? And that's a really tough. That's a really tough question. I think my life uh, choices have really informed the, a lot of the way that I write music and think about music. And uh, I don't know what I'd be writing about if I was if I was writing my sixth album and I didn't have a wife or kids and I was yeah. lonely in, in, a, in an alley somewhere with a piano. You know, so many. I, I mean, that's a great that's a great point. Your songs. It's, it's really hard to separate who you are musically from what you've gone through. And it's hard to even imagine like your songs. Definitely. They kind of reflect, at least it seems to me, um, both lyrically and just in the feel kind of those phases where you've, where you've been, what you've gone through on. So on your bio, on your website, you say that you are a recovering lawyer. So you went to law school, were a good student there, got a good job in law. And then what was it about that, that made you say, when, when did you have that moment where you realized for the first time, I actually want to pursue music full time and what led to that? Well, I, uh, I was, I was in several bands while I was in law school and also practicing and I was, you know, at various times. And in one of those bands, I had a show in St. Louis. Actually, we were opening for John Oates of Holland Oates. I was in this, in this band. I wasn't the front man. I was just playing music. I was just playing keyboards in the back. And, uh, that night I met my wife who would become my wife at the, sh at that show. And then, um, some time went by. I was in a relationship. She was in a different relationship. And then our relation, both of our relationships ended uh, several months later. And I just found myself tagged in a Facebook photo with her because someone tagged us from the event. Uh, and so I, so I contacted her. And, and a year later, we were married. <laughs> so we were both. And it, and it was this big moment of upheaval in my life where I was not really happy. I was going nowhere. Uh, the, the lust, you know, the, the allure of, of, of being an attorney and the cool parts of it, um, it had really worn away and it was kind of getting to be more of a grind. And I fell in love with this girl and she had to move to Texas to, to show up for duty in the Air Force. So I would I had to go to either she was going to move away or we were going to marry and I was going to move with her. So uh, it was just this huge moment of uh, upheaval in my life where I just all of a sudden thought, you know what, why don't I try something different? I didn't have a plan. It wasn't a slow burn or a slow build. I didn't, it was, it was not. You weren't like out. working on your music on the side, hoping it to get to a point where you could leave the law firm or anything like that. No, nothing. I nothing, never anything like that. It just, I met this girl. You chased a girl stuff. across the country. That's the classic story, right? It, it is. And, uh, and I, and she said, what are you going to do? You're going to take the bar in Texas and you know, to, to practice in Texas. And I just told, and I first, and I don't, I, I remember this exact conversation that I had with her. She said, so are you going to take the bar? What, what are you going to do in Texas? I said, I said, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to make a career as a musician. I'm going to be a song songwriter. And <laughs> she's, and she said, oh, okay, you should do that. And that was, and that was it. That was the entire decision. Wow. But it was a huge, I mean, obviously a huge decision. And then uh, I bit off, you know, way more than I could chew, but I started. I started. Really came to to uh, Texas with 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 nothing. Hmm. Uh, in fact, you know, as Luke as Luke J Hinkle, 
And I came here, I thought, well, I, I, got, I need to use my first and middle names. And I, and I had to write all new songs. And I started playing piano. I mean, I started really playing the piano. When I got to Texas for about six months, I just sat at a piano for 12 hours a day. Wow. And just got and got better because I really hadn't gotten better since so, I was so this, probably. So this was like a, it wasn't like a, I'm depressed or I'm inspired. This was like a discipline choice. I need to get better. I need to play more. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I just, I had to get my chops up. I had to, I had to compete and I still do that. I mean, I still play all the time, playing yeah. scales and arpeggios and learn to read music again and just doing all, all kinds of stuff. I, it was just kind of like music boot camp. but the, 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 back to your question, the thing that led me to like the decision process was really quick. It was, oh, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move to Texas. I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to get married to this girl. I barely know. <laughs> I had not. And in fact, I had never seen her on a Wednesday. I'd like we had figured that out because we lived apart. So I had never even been with her on a Wednesday. <laughs> Who knows? I, maybe that's the day she's a werewolf or something, you know, like <laughs> I, I know, I know. Well, in fact, I, I proposed I flew to I flew to St. Louis and proposed her on a Wednesday just uh, just to make know, sure symbolically. She's, yeah. yeah. And it, it meant, and I waited around. I, was, I was, came to her apartment, and waited for her to get home from work. And she didn't get home from work until like 1030. And I didn't know where she was. And she got out of work at like six. And she went to Nordstrom, you know, it's, it was, I sat around her part in her apartment complex for hours and hours and hours. It was ridiculous. I thought, Oh no, what have I, what have I done? I've come to propose. She's going to come home with some Wednesday man, <laughs> but, but she just came home with shopping bags, which was prescient of what was to come. I yeah. Guess. That's, that's almost scarier. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with, so she was okay with this decision to, to go into music. What about, I know you were, you know, off on your own by this point, but, but you know, your family is, is still a pretty strong support network. Did you have friends and family that were worried about you and like, what are you doing? What are you throwing away this law career for? Did you get any pushback? Uh, I didn't, I didn't get any pushback from anybody. Everybody just said, it's about goddamn time, Luke. <laughs> That's so, a good sign. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I definitely had the, you know, it's my, my buddies and stuff were definitely thinking like, what are you, what are you doing? You, you really, you really want to be a, a poor musician. Also, you really want to be, you, you really lose your independence when you lose all that money, mm. when you don't have that income, it's your freedoms are, are, you don't, you can't make as many decisions. I, mm. I can't, you know, it's, I can't, I can't just go leave. I don't have a whole bunch of money in the bank. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have, you know, $1,500 coming in every, every week or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is a scary, it's a scary decision because you feel, I'm, I mean, you become very dependent on, on me, my spouse, I'm very dependent on her for, to make money. I, and the thing, but you know, to be fair, I can always go back to practicing law. I still have my license. Yeah. I still, I still pay my dues and do my stuff. So I, even though I don't practice whatsoever and have no intention of doing it, I could always fall. It's, it's a fallback plan. It's yeah. a pretty solid fallback plan. It's kind of, you know, I've, I kind of feel like once you've seen, you know, and, and, and I, in a much less dramatic way, I think, um, I'd always been interested in, in entrepreneurialism, starting a business, whatever. And, and it took me 10 years before I actually did. And I think part of that, there's a lot of reasons why, but part of that was once I'd actually seen what the professional world was like and what I was capable of, like, okay, worst case, I can go get a job that I don't like selling whatever and make X amount. So the bottom isn't that far. Like if everything totally goes to hell, then 
I've seen what's possible in the professional world if I'm willing to do a job that I don't like at all. And it's kind of like knowing where that bottom is can be sort of a, a, a good realization that lets you jump off into the unknown a little bit. Yeah, there's it, exactly yeah, yeah. the the bottom is an is a known quantity. You know, you can always you can always return to it. And for a while, that wasn't a known quantity for me. And I go back to it several times. I mean, many times. But I was kind of really concerned with being this breadwinner type. And it's tough to be a musician, and there's not a whole lot of bread. Yeah. So they don't sit at the bar and put bread in your jar. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know how many times I've I played could, that. Song? I couldn't help myself. Yeah, are you sick of it yet? Uh. I still like the song, but I just don't want to play it a I mean, thousand times a year. It's like the equivalent of, you know, a full band at a wedding. Like a, people see a guy with a with an upright piano. They start waving their lighters after a couple drinks. Play piano, man. You know, it's it's got to come out. Every every day of my life. <laughs> people, people ask me to play piano. I've played piano, man, at almost every show that I've played. If they're request shows, not, not ticketed original music shows. That's another thing that's been hard for me to get away from is is uh, I'm I'm really I know a whole bunch of songs and uh, it's it's been tough for me to break away as a piano it's something that's been difficult for me since I started playing music is to get away from the cover stuff because people mm. just want to now with all these ridiculous piano bars everywhere these dueling piano bars everybody thinks they can just come up to the piano guy and throw money at him and he'll play whatever they want which is which is unfortunately is kind of true <laughs> I'm not a machine, <laughs> I'm not a machine. but you did give me twenty dollars and I am b broke so <laughs> you know so it's that that's one one thing that's been tough to transition for me is to get people to be more into my original music because I really don't want to be a um, a lounge piano player that just plays covers yeah. That's a huge challenge. And I mean, even imagine on a psychological level and tell me if this is incorrect. If you get up and you play a show, maybe there's a couple hundred people there or whatever, and you're playing your own stuff, even if it's better stuff and you like playing it more, almost nobody's going to be singing because it's new. Most people don't know it. Um, and there's less energy versus if you're playing something that everybody knows, they're all singing and dancing and they all love you. And you're getting that sort of immediate feedback from the audience it's it's got to be work to to make yourself play new stuff um, when the psychic rewards at least immediately are, are less. Is that is that a true experience or am I just imagining that? That is that's one hundred percent true. You put you know a lot of uh, performing music is some sort. It's it's sort of like a conversation between the artist, the performer, and the audience. It's a give and take, you know, they kind of cheer, they, they they dance, they move around, and the conversation goes very one-sided and basically dead when I play songs that they don't know. Hmm. And it's that and that's really hard to say to to like bring bring the party down or to just <laughs> to take the to, to to make the conversation completely one-sided and leave them out of it. But so yeah, so it's always very tempting when it, when things are getting kind of slow to say, you know what? Uh, let's just play Tiny Dancer, you know, you know, you know, which is which is what I do. Or yeah, let's play. God damn, let's play No Diggity again. You know, like you know, you just you have to, you kind of have to do it to bring the energy up. But it's it's a fine line. I I I now I what I used to when I came here, I used to play almost all covers because I didn't have any good originals, and I played all covers for a long, long time. And now over the last few years, I've transitioned into playing 90% of my perform my songs are originals and towards the end of the night I'll play some songs that people know and, and want to hear 
but it's been it's also really empowering to have a body of work that's you know i can play for four hours and play only my own songs yeah and i didn't that and it used to be i couldn't play for for 20 minutes of my own songs i didn't even have that much material so it, it is it's it's been a real uh, learning experience in the last few years. I learn something every you know every time I play a show and every every month I something gets better and every year things improve you know dramatically. It seems like uh, so it's 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 a fun process. But yeah, the cover songs um, there it's tempting to play them, but once you play one cover song, that's all they're going to want to hear the rest <laughs> of the night. They're like, oh well, play "Don't Stop Believing," you know. So um, so there's there's you know, sort of two versions of your story. Maybe there's the romantic idea, you know, this guy quits his well-paying job as a lawyer in Chicago to chase his dream and become a musician. And everybody's happy. Now he's living his dream. Wow. What a bold and courageous thing. There's a lot of romance to it. I, I actually imagine that for many of us, we think that we want to do something that we love as a hobby, as a job, but really we don't because once it's a job, it becomes a lot harder to still love it. Um, and there's a lot of, of difficulty buried in there. And I want to know apart from the romantic version, okay, you quit a job you hated to go do something you love. I mean, what's really hard about it? What sucks about it? Uh, the more, you know, quote unquote success that I have, that I achieve, the less music I play. So mm. the less, the less it becomes about music. So I, all morning, I just got out of a four, I, from eight to 12, I was in a meeting with a social media guru. Wait a minute. Um, I thought the whole reason to become a musician was to never have to sit through meetings and you know, you're sticking it to the man. Oh my gosh. You're, you're in meetings, Lucas. What's happened? Yeah. Well, that's how well, you're, you're like Jay-Z said, you're a business man. I, <laughs> yes just like jay-z said uh no it's so i i need to be you know i need to get better at certain aspects of running my business and one of those aspects is having a better presence on social media so i i have this social media guy here who's a consultant and we talked about all the all of the things i mean scheduling every single day 12 tasks a day of stuff you know post this to instagram post this to twitter repurpose this for your blog repurpose again for your newsletter have exclusive content set up a video blog set up all the lights for the video blog how are you going to run all the audio who's going to mix it are you going to mix it in you know you're going to mix it in pro tools and then send the audio to to uh, you know to to a video to a video editing software um, uh, Final Cut is what it is. And, and just all of these, just walking through exactly how we're going to cut these things and how many songs a week am I going to record and who are they going to go out to, how to grow the mailing list, you know, what kind of content to blog. An hour and a half spent talking about fucking hashtags, you know, <laughs> and just, just, and these, these are, this is not the first of these meetings. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's, that is that kind of stuff that did that take drives you, me crazy. did that take you by surprise when you first started and first you were like okay focusing on my chops I'm playing 12 hours a day when you started going out there and gigging and, and the business side of it came were you surprised by how much that takes how involved that is yeah well I kind of I I guess I always knew it was going to be like that but I'm I'm at a point in my career where 
I need to be, I need to grow this, the business, the brand. It's yeah. all about the brand and selling the story and all this stuff, mumbo jumbo. But it's, but it's all <laughs> Which pretty- you sound thrilled about. I think I actually heard you pounding on the table a minute ago when you were talking about it. <laughs> it is, it is, it is, it's frustrating, but it's also part of the game. Yeah. You know, it's part of it. You got to do it. And most people don't do it. They don't play. They don't understand that you have fans and you need to connect with them. You have to figure out where they are and connect with them and give them things that they want. And that's not just music. Sometimes that's access. Sometimes that's access to your personal life. Sometimes it's stuff that has nothing to do with your music. They just want to know what, what you know, where you're traveling, what you're eating, or what's just just behind the scenes stuff that you think is really mundane and boring is interesting to them. Loading in. No one knows what it's like to load in and plug in mics and do a sound check. Most people don't, but to me it's just a terrible thing that I have to endure. <laughs> but you know, I need to I need to take them into consideration and try to bring them along. They call it creating your tribe, you know, and and find my tribe and, and give them things that they want because I, you know, I'm a very strong believer in the market and and in the in the efficiency that it brings and i and i just i i have i think i have something that they want so this this you know this this exchange that we're making in this market i think is important and i and i and i don't want to forget about my customers and i don't want to forget about my product and a lot of bands just think oh I'm, it's my art man i just do it it's just the music man yeah and then you don't have any fans on facebook you don't have a twitter account nobody comes to your shows and you might be a great musician, but you're gonna you're just gonna be last in line. You know, if if you want to just yeah. disappear for a couple months and not talk to your fans and not stay connected to people, you're gonna disappear from their life and they're not gonna remember you. Yeah. You know, you gotta stay in, right in the forefront, especially now with social media. I mean, it's an it's an experience. The the music side, I definitely don't want to say an individual like song recording is just sort of a commodity as if they're all interchangeable, but all, all value for all goods is subjective and in art, I think it's almost the easiest to see that with. So you're creating an experience for people and it comes packaged with it. All these other things that they know about you ahead of time. You know, if someone says, oh, here's the new single by whatever, you know, uh, a, a never before released song by Bob Dylan, how good that song is by itself is such a small part of people's level of enjoyment and willingness to pay money for it because it's coming wrapped with this whole experience of who Bob Dylan is, what he's meant to them, what they know about him before, all these kind of, and so you kind of have to create this full experience. Um, you can't just sit down and play music and that's gotta be a, um, a lot of work, a a huge challenge. You know, it, it is. You need to create the context in which in which they consume your, and they need to be in this mindset of I know this artist. I know all about them. I think I know what this song is about, even if they don't. I I saw them play it. Uh, I had they have a personal connection with the song, and it's you're right. It's part of a bigger contextual experience rather than just noise coming in your ears. And it's would you say? Lot- I don't want to interrupt again, but would you say that you are you are ideally like a live musician. So so let me give you an example, like um, whether it's playing music or giving a talk, I know some people where it's like, if people just get in the room with this person, there is no way they won't walk away having a great experience, but getting them to say it's worth their time to go into that room is a big challenge. And sometimes what you can create in a live setting, it's very hard to convey that on a recording or through a tweet or whatever else. Would you describe yourself in that way? Like if, if I can get people to my shows, they're going to love it, but it's just getting them to, to see that it's worth it for them. It's the challenge that, that, you know, I think a lot of musicians say that, but I really, really, really believe that I, I'm, I am completely, if anybody's listening, please buy my music, but I know, (laughs) but I know you won't. It's okay. Nobody buys music anymore. Yeah. I have 
I, I buy music from people. I have CDs that I don't open because I just want to support the artist. Yeah. I listen to I listen to Spotify. I listen to Apple Music. I listen to RDO. I listen to YouTube. That's how I listen to Pandora. That's how I that's how people consume music. So I'm over this bitch and moan session <laughs> that everybody's that everybody has about not nobody's buying my music. Nobody's buying anybody's music, dude. So what's the product you're selling? Where where is your revenue stream sort of from a business model standpoint? Or where do you hope hope for it to be? Well, other than all the trinkets and toys that come along with you which, know, which like, by the way, lucasjackmusic.com, you can get some really cool t-shirts that say keep it upright. Uh there's one <laughs> with uh, uh your beard and glasses, sort of a silhouette, some great stuff there. Go check it out. Yeah, yeah. So that that's the fun stuff that that people want. People here's the thing, your fans want to support you. They want to give you money. They want people who like you. They want to support what you're doing. They just don't want to. I mean, they're only going to buy if they're going to buy a CD. They're only going to buy one. They're not going to buy 20 of them. So you got to give them other things. to. You got to sell them other stuff. It's it, some people feel like, oh, I'm whoring myself out selling all these T-shirts and koozies and wristbands and all this <laughs> stuff. And it's not it's really not about those wristbands and koozies and T-shirts. It's about giving your fans a way to connect with you and allowing them to support you financially. They just want to give you one hundred dollars. If you don't have a hundred dollars of stuff to sell them, they're not going to give you a hundred dollars. So it's, so, I mean, I have tons of CDs that are not even opened, you know, it's because I, I support I, you know, it makes artists. It makes me wonder, and I'm thinking out loud here and, and you know much more about this than I do, but it makes me wonder about kind of flipping the, where the consumer comes into the process, flipping it around from the traditional idea of you put in all this work to produce something. And it's almost like this manufacturing model, this R and D and everything. And then you, you spit out the widget, an album and people are supposed to pay for it. Now that people can get all the music for free, they want to be a part of what you're doing. I almost imagine like a Kickstarter style where you're like, I've got this concept. I want to write an album. I need to raise X amount of money to do it, to produce it, whatever else. You will be a part of the creation process. And then the end result is free for everybody. But those who like you and want to support you are actually supporting sort of the manufacturing and R&D process side. Uh, I, I don't know. It might be an interesting, maybe somebody's done that already. I've got an album that I'm recording in December, first two weeks of December, and I have a pledge music drive that's going on right now. Isaac, you don't even know that. I didn't know that. I looked on your website briefly. It's but not. I it's see. not this, you're hearing it here for the first time. I've got a exclusive. conference call exclusive on the Isaac Morehouse podcast. The uh, at at three o'clock, in fact, I've got a, a a telephone conference with my manager and the uh, and some of the staff at a, at a, a really cool new site uh, app whatever called pledge music and it's how all it's kind of the new way that you're releasing albums you're exactly right you're right nail right on the head you make people a part of the process so i'm going to start this pledge music campaign and people that pledge music to, to to support the the budget for the album they get all kinds of stuff you know all kinds of exclusive stuff exclusive t-shirts and you know special uh unreleased acoustic tracks of all the album of all the album cuts you know they're all full band but the the people who support the album ahead of time pre-order it will get access to acoustic versions of all the songs that i just record at my house or something like that how much so do i have to give to do some background vocals <laughs> uh it's i'm telling you isaac everything is for sale. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. So if, if you guys hear me doing some background vocals, like pitchy screaming in the background on one of Lucas's songs, you'll know either that I'm broke or I don't know that he was so poor. He was desperate. No, the way, the way it works is that you would get credit. I would put you in the credits, but I would probably wouldn't put your, if, if you were really good, I'd put you on the album, but most likely I would just give you a credit <laughs> as, as a supporter and a background vocalist. Well, okay. So, um, 
do you mind talking about the the financial side of what you're doing and like how it's going and all that stuff? I, I don't mind talking. Okay, about Okay, so is most of your revenue right now coming from what you get paid to play live shows? Yeah, I would say ninety nine percent of it. Okay, and is that like after? Oh you've... no, no, with with merchandise. Okay, are you including like selling T-shirts? Okay, so stuff? you sell you sell merchandise at the shows. I do, and I don't sell very many CDs. I mostly sell T-shirts and koozies and hats. So what's the split between like the the take that you get? for playing a venue and then the amount that you sell in merchandise. Um, Oh, uh, merchandise is probably about uh, 10% of what I, of my revenue. Okay. Okay. And are you making enough in, in playing these 12 shows a month? Like, so you're paying for, you know, your, your web hosting and your, you know, the social media guy you're working with and you've got a, um, a manager I saw on the website. Um, you pay for all your expenses. A booking agent, the band, the band is the most expensive. Okay, part. yeah. So I was going to ask you about the band. You're you're a solo act, but you usually play with a band. Is that a rotating group, or is that one band all the time? Well, I I'm not a solo act anymore because I don't play. I never I haven't played a solo. Oh, show you're just now. one of those bands that gets to be named after the front man. I like it. Yeah. Let, let them yeah, know who's boss. Well, they're 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 in my band. Uh, it is a rotating cast, but you know, I don't play solo. I do not play. I, I, I just don't do it anymore. A lot of people want me to, but it's, it just gets a little too hokey when it's just me and a piano. It starts sounding a little show tuny. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't have the energy that I'd like it to have okay. unless I'm playing in some sort of a dark lounge, which I don't do anymore. You know, I don't yeah. play unless, unless there's a stage and lights and sound, I don't play. So, uh, I'm, is I'm, that just cause you enjoy that more or because that's a more sustainable business model? The most sustainable business model is to play solo and take all the money. Okay. Because I'm, you can make a, I can make a whole, I can make a whole boatload of money playing solo and playing Billy Joel and Elton John. Just like, kind of turn it in into a, a nine to fiver sort of mentality. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know, I know guys that make one hundred seventy five thousand dollars doing it. They wow. make, I mean, they make, a, they make a thousand dollars a show, and you make it, and you don't have to pay anybody, and you, and you just, and it's, it's great, but you don't ever create a brand, and as soon yeah. as you stop playing, you don't see another dime, and you don't have any fans, you don't have anything to sell, yeah, and ever, and everybody just wants to hear you play covers, which is, uh, which is totally, if that's what you're into, yeah, it's, yeah, man, it's, it's an honorable profession. I mean, I, it's... I would do it if I didn't, if I couldn't write songs, or if it turns out that I can't write any more songs, I'll, I'll that's what I'm gonna do. I would rather be a huckster like that rather than an attorney. I mean, it's, it's the technician versus the, the entrepreneur. It's, it's owning a job or owning a business. And you're, you're clearly motivated by creating something new, building something that's sort of bigger than just your ability to, to play the piano, um, and sing, of course. So, so are you clearing after you pay your expenses, your band, all that stuff, uh, your travel, whatever, are you, what are you clearing every month? Oh man, it's, it's not, I'm just trying to break even. Stuff. Okay. Okay. That's so, what I was so, wondering. Yeah. No, I'm, so I'm trying to break even. So I mean, and, and part of that's because you're plot, like you could probably cut your costs, but you're, you're trying to grow. So you're putting a lot of money into that. Yeah. I, so I used to play solo and then I, then I said, you know, I'm as soon as I, as soon as I made enough money, cause I, man, I used to make $75 for four hours. That's what it used to be. Wow. That, yeah. It was rough. And then, and then it hey, got in any other industry, they'd be protesting and picketing and, you know, trying to go to Congress or something. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> um, so so but I'm an independent contractor. So the uh, and then when it got to the point where I was where I made about three hundred dollars, I thought a, a show, I said, it's all right. Now I can afford to, to hire a uh, a drummer. 
and I play and I pay, you know, I pay $150 a show and I no longer play for four hours. So I'm at the point now where I'm playing three hour shows for like three hundred dollars. And I and I brought in a drummer and I pay him one hundred fifty dollars. And as soon as I got to about four hundred fifty dollars a show, I said, it's time to bring in a bass player. Because if you're not a band, from a business standpoint, you're you're just an act. You're a show. You're not a band unless you got three guys, hmm. at least three guys. And nobody makes it anywhere without a band. Band, you got to have a band. That's just how. No, you know, you can't just be playing your guitar and go to the top unless you're Ed Sheeran. You just cannot catapult to any sort of fame, and people don't take you seriously as a solo act. At least that's my perception, especially for guys at a piano. So as soon as I as soon as I started making money. I found a way to spend that money on something that I thought would advance my career, such as hiring another player to be on stage with me. And uh, when I hit the next level, I'm going to have a guitar player that joins me all the time. Yeah. Uh, but I, and then I reached a certain level of success, a certain, you know, money is, you know, $700, $800 a show. And now I have, and now I have a manager and he takes his cut. And, uh, and, and is and, his job primarily to go out and get you more shows? No, no. Is he that, doing, he's doing the business end, the bookkeeping, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a real mix. So okay. my manager my manager was here all morning in my meeting with me. We had a meeting for six hours yesterday. We meet all the time. We talk about merchandise. We talk about inventory. We talk about you know quarterly taxes that are due to the, <laughs> yeah. to, the to the to the local to the local uh, to San Antonio for sales tax. We. Um, and you're one of several clients of his, I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm one of several. Okay. So, I, and, but when it when it comes to shows, getting more shows, I have a booking agent that does that. Gotcha. And the booking agent takes ten percent, and the and the manager takes fifteen percent. So now I'm so now I'm out a quarter of everything I make, and then I have to pay the band, and I have a you know I have a big van, my van Vanna White, she guzzles the fuel, <laughs> and I and I'm always repairing stuff. I'm buying new lights and and new speakers, and I have got to replace my uh, my personas board. It's starting to go so, out. So you have to keep all your own equipment. Most of the venues don't have what you need. Oh, I'm, the good venues do, but I still play some shows where I, I'll, I'll show up at a venue and I'll look at their gear and I'll just say, mine stuff's way better than yours. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll use mine because the show is really important to me. I, I, I'm a professional mover who plays music in between the moves. <laughs> so I, I moved this upright piano, this 625 pound piano on stage every night and take it off stage. And it's, I mean, I have like about a ton about a ton of gear in the back of my van. So your your personal health and fitness routine is all wrapped up in your job. You don't need to go lift weights. I mean, my pain and suffering is wrapped up in my job. <laughs> I, I don't lift. I, I lift. I lift only with my back, and I'm always straining. It's terrible. I can't. At some point down the road, if I start getting enough more enough money at these gigs, I'm going to find somebody to carry my stuff. That is like the big. That's yeah. the big goal. <laughs> you need a big like Igor, you know, to come along and just so, some big meat mitts to pick up all my stuff. Yeah. Um, if anyone's listening, if that sounds like a, a wonderful, glamorous job, uh, you can find Lucas Jack and, and reach out to him. So what is your, what's your ideal venue or maybe a way to put, make this more concrete? What's the best show you've ever played? You're sort of so far the thing that you said, yes, I want to be doing more of that. Uh, well, it's, it's sort of a split between two different kinds of shows. So one of the shows is a, is a support show where you open for somebody and that, that best show would have been the, the foreigner show that we opened up for foreigner at this sold out theater show in San Antonio. It's like 2,600 people. And that was great. Everybody that came there paid 80 or $90 for their tickets. So they all listened. 
they all thought, oh, this opening band must be legit. So they just listened and it was great. Mm. And we sold a whole bunch of merchandise and made a ton of, I mean, hundreds of fans that have, have continued to come out and see us. And that was, so that was the most successful, coolest show that I've played. Um, other than that, uh, we had some, I, I mean, we played for like, you know, we, we played for the, the halftime show, uh, during the NBA finals and that was really cool. Um, so Most you did, so you did make it onto the, you made it to the NBA finals. It, I mean, I knew it would happen. <laughs> I told you. I did, I did make it to the NBA finals. It's true. So, so you said you had started to say there are two kinds of shows and the one I'm assuming the foreigner example is an example of like, that's a really successful gig from a business standpoint, huge exposure, foreigners, a, a huge, well-known band. You had a lot of people made a lot of fans I was sort of thinking maybe you were going to say, and then the second kind is like the shows that are like the most fun to play, or maybe those are the same thing. Uh, they're kind of the same thing, but no, the other, the other shows are where I'm the headliner. So I'm the bill. Okay. I put the bill together. I'm the guy who plays last. It's my name's on the marquee. I sell, you know, the, the ticket sales go to me and the way ticket sales usually work is I usually get about 80% of the ticket sales. The venue takes the other 20%. That's usually financially how it works. Okay. But uh, so the Foreigner show, I didn't have to sell any tickets. And it didn't matter if everybody that came came to see Foreigner. But so that's a totally different transaction and event than everybody who comes that came to see me. Uh, so that's a, it's, it's a little more rewarding when everybody does come to see you. But, you know. 150 people coming to see me were versus 2600 is, uh, you know, yes. both have their both both have their advantages. Uh, but my other good shows have just been a lot of these mid-sized rock venues. Um, we had a really great show in St. Louis at a place called the Firebird. It had a really great show at Bell's Brewery in uh, in Kalamazoo when I was just there. And uh, you know, we get we get local radio support. They play the album and they do interviews with us and they they promote the show for us and we you know bring out a lot of people through uh, through our promoting efforts. That's another thing. Promotion, promotion, promotion. If it doesn't get promoted, it doesn't happen, which is essentially why I was talking to the social media guy all morning because if you gotta let people know where and when you're playing and you gotta connect with them. Otherwise they're just not gonna come to the shows. Mm. And a lot of bands fall to the wayside because they don't wanna do they don't want to grind. They so, don't mind getting on the road, but you know, if it doesn't matter if you go on the road for two years and you don't promote any of your shows and you play to five people every single night, you're going to be a gigantic failure. Yeah. So, so what is, what does your day look like? How do you structure your day? Well, I get up at about, uh, about 10 after six with my girls. That's what time they get up. I get up and I feed them and I clothe them. I change their diapers. Well, one of them's potty train now, but, uh, just recently. So I feed them and then, I, and then I put them in their, our double stroller and I walk them to, I walk them about a mile away to their, to their, uh, to daycare. I drop them off and I walk back and, uh, and then my, then my day starts and, uh, th and then I get, you know, I get home about eight o'clock and, and then and I, I, in a typical day, let's say you're not playing a show that day. What percentage of your time are you still, you said you're still playing, you're still keeping your chops up. Are you, um, are you writing every day? Are you doing sort of working on your social media, your marketing? Are you doing, you do break it up into chunks or you just kind of, kind of take it as it comes? Well, honestly, it's been kind of a crap shoot. I kind of work on whatever is at the forefront of my mind, which is really bad for somebody who is addicted to Ritalin most of his life. <laughs> I'm, I, lo I no longer am. And it's just, 
uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of very scattered, but I'm always working, working, working on either editing videos or working on social media or updating my website or playing music. I, I kind of do a little, I probably play, uh, I probably play just at a piano and try to write for maybe like four hours a week. Okay. Um, and, and what is, so, so four hours sitting there trying to write, like, does that normally result in a new song or a uh, part of one or what's, what does it take to write, say one song? You know, it, it depends. Sometimes they come really quickly and sometimes, um, sometimes they don't come at all. Do the lyrics come first or the music? Uh, the, the, so the writing process, I sit at, I sit at the piano and I play, I play until something musically strikes me as interesting. Um, cause I hate being, I hate writing songs that sound the same. So I just, I kind of noodle, I'll, I'll play for hours. I'll play the same riff for hours and hours. And probably people think I'm crazy, but I just try to, I try to hear a song inside of these chords that I'm playing. And eventually I, I kind of start, I sing nonsense words and I, I just sing a whole bunch of words over and over again until something kind of sticks. And then I find that to be the hook. And then I work on a verse because usually I write the chorus first and then I work on a verse and I kind of get the structure of how the, I, I write lyrics to the verse, the first verse, and I write the lyrics to the chorus. And then I, and then from then on, I don't sit at the piano. I, I open Microsoft Word and I write the rest of the song because I, I and I, the whole time I record over and over again with my iPhone, you know, I record with a, a voice memo or whatever. I have thousands of voice memos, like, 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 like 50,000. Well, someday those are going to be worth tons. It'll be like the unreleased, you the know, basement the tapes. basement tapes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's, hard that's really fascinating though. The, I mean, that is one of the most probably explicitly exploratory forms of music writing I've ever, I've ever heard of where you're really just playing around, playing chords, playing, noodling around on the, on the piano until you hear something. And then even lyrically, I've never heard anyone describe it that way, where you're just making up nonsense words and just saying a bunch of whatever comes to, to mind until you hear something that seems like it works. That seems like it fits. That's a, that's a really fascinating approach. There's almost no preconceived structure until you kind of find something within the, within the chaos. Well, you know, the reason, the reason I think it works for me and other people write differently. Some people sit there with a notebook and they write all these lyrics and then they go to try to put music to it. For me, it just does not work. I've tried it. It just does. I write, I end up, what happens is I write a song. If I, if I do it that way, which I've done it many times, I write lyrics out to a song and then I go try to write this, the music and the music ends up being the same exact music every time because of, because of the, the pattern of, of the words and the emphasis and where the syllables, you know, lie. I, for some reason, I keep writing the same song over and over and over again. So I've got to, I've got to sit and write at the piano. But the main reason that it works for me that way, is, or the way that I write works for me is because the words, the lyrics have to sing right. It doesn't matter if they, if they sound right when you read them, or they look right, or they're compelling, or they're smart, or they use cool words. If you can't sing them, if, if they don't sing right, they don't sound right. They just, it does not you've got to be able to sing it. So the most important part of the lyric for me is how it sounds when it's being sung. And I have to sit there and write a melody with a certain number of, you know, with a certain number of syllables and figure out where every single syllable goes and where every internal rhyme goes and where all the alliteration goes. And once I figure all that out, then I can go to the computer and really worry about what's this song about? What's the story? How, how do I, how do I, you know, how does the plot work out? Do I need a bridge? Where's the bridge go? Um, 
and so a lot a lot I spent a whole bunch of time at the piano and then a whole bunch of time in front of a computer. <laughs> when you're when you're not at the piano, do you say you're walking back from dropping your girls off? Do you get uh, tunes in your head or do you ever create songs that way just straight up out of your mind or do you usually have to be sitting at the piano? Uh, I, I don't. I do work I do work on lyrics a lot when I'm not new ideas don't come to me, but uh, like I said, I kind of create an outline at the piano. I, I create the what I call the riff or the hook with a, with a piano. And then I create the melody and and how the and how the lyrics are going to work out. So I'll basically just re- memorize some shitty first verse that I wrote, and then try to write a better song. Use that as sort of the the scaffolding to write the really good verses. And the thing I'll do when I walk my girl or do whatever I'm I'm out and about is I'll constantly be singing this new song that I've written. I'll sing these these stupid lyrics that I'm that are going to be toss out lyrics, and I try to put new lyrics in there. So I'm always so so when I'm not at the piano, I am singing these songs. And I'm putting new lyrics and new words in there and working on them. But the idea for the song, the the melody or the chords or anything like that, almost never do I come up with an original idea if I'm not at the piano. So um, we'll, we'll be wrapping up in a few minutes here. I know we're, I'm, I'm taking a lot of your time, but, but finishing up on this process, it's so fascinating to me. Be, because you go through so many, as you call them, sort of throwaway lyrics that, to, to kind of build on, once you get the song right, is it hard for you to let it lie? And, and do you want to later like continue to change it all the time? Or do you, do you just know when you get it right? I've got the right lyrics. I've got it nailed. It's done. I can move on. Every song could be better. Um, hmm. you just, and you just have to let it go. Uh, one thing that's really hard for me, this is a little bit, a little bit unrelated, but it's really hard for me to, to play a song live for the, fir- like for the first about a month because all the other lyrics are going through my head I just can't remember which ones I decided to go with because, you know, a lot of these songs have like five different verses and I only choose two. And uh, and each verse, each new verse that I wrote has a completely different story and takes it can make it can take the song really dark or it can take it, you know, really lighthearted or it can be funny and one can be really, you know, really sad. So it's hard for me to remember exactly where the song went. So it makes it writing all these lyrics does make it hard for me to remember my own lyrics. But uh, I will. One thing I will say is I definitely edit a lot more than a, a lot more than songwriters that I know, at least. A lot of people say, if it doesn't come out in, the, in 10 minutes, it's not a good song. Some people really believe that. And I just think, would you want to read a book that someone wrote in 10 minutes? I mean, unless it's Jack Kerouac, I just don't, I just don't think that, that that's the best way to create art. And my, I guess my catchphrase or thing that I, I'm always coming back to is that editing is art. And knowing what to cut is art. And, 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 you know, it doesn't, it, it's not some sort of, I have no belief in any sort of divine anything, including inspiration. So, you know, it, whatever, it's what I ate that day. It's why I wrote that. It doesn't, there's nothing special about it that it happened all at once. You can write a really great song over six months and it will be really good at the end of that six months. So I'm, I'm a big fan of editing, but, uh, it is, it is hard when it comes to putting it on an album. I love writing new songs and going out and singing for people, and I don't really care how the lyrics can always change. But once you put it on an album, you're kind of stuck with it. Hmm. So, for example, right now I'm I've I've got these recording dates from November and, and December. I'm recording with these guys in Virginia, and I've got you know about 25 songs that I've got to whittle down to nine. 
Uh, and then I, once I whittle those nine songs, figure out what nine songs I'm going to record, then I'm really going to rack my brain and worry like hell that I didn't get that, that the lyrics don't make perfect sense or that I didn't. Is there not a better rhyme or something better? So right before recording on an actual album is when I really start to sweat. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, the fact that you edit everything out, I, Hey, all I can think is this is great. It's, it's this great business opportunity. You build out this brand and then it's like, you know, re-releasing now with three alternate endings, you know, the verses you never heard. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. No, um, those, no, those, the, the way that works is you play them live and then you release a live album. And the only reason people want to hear your live album want to buy it is because they know they can't hear it on the actual album cut. Yeah. So they'll buy your live CD because that has all the cool verses with the profanity that they want. <laughs> um, so you, uh, you said you had taken, you've taken piano lessons, um, uh, a lot of times throughout the years. Have you, what about voice lessons? You see, you seem to, to sort of think of yourself, or at least from my take as a, as a pianist first and foremost, but you're a vocalist too. And have you, have you done work? Have you done uh, vocal lessons or sort of what do you think of, do you hone your craft on the vocal side equally, I guess? Well, I, I consider, I, to correct you, I, I consider myself a singer who accompanies himself on piano. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Okay. Cause I'm not, cause I'm not, I'm not that good at the piano. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good, but I'm not, I'm not good enough to be in somebody's band. Okay, so no. I'm not gonna be, to be to be their keyboard player who's just like ripping solos. I don't play B three. I don't play a Hammond B three organ. I don't play B three. So you're not like a jazz pianist or whatever. I'm not a jazz guy. I'm 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 really good at playing the piano and singing at the same time. When I'm not singing, I don't enjoy it. Huh. Uh, I, I I like to be singing. So and the fact, singing is what it's all about for you. That's fascinating. Yeah, and in fact, I don't really like to sing without playing either. <laughs> it's sort of this marriage. I like to do the same that both at the same time. Um. So yeah, when when my voice changed when I was probably twelve or thirteen, and I started being able to really hold pitch better, and I, and my the tone of my voice changed more to a man man voice, uh, I really became obsessed with singing and kind of let the piano, you know, fall to the wayside a little bit and became much more of a singer. Um, and I took voice lessons and stuff. And when it comes to singing, uh, as far as you know, honing my craft or whatever. I do sing all the time, all day. So I sing, I mean, I sing hours, many hours. I, when, I can sing a four-hour show, and I, I could probably sing for eight hours, and I, most people can. It's just like a controlled scream. I have, I have a pretty um, well-developed vocal cords, I guess. So I work at singing all the time, and I know that— It was all that arguing as a lawyer. yeah. It's, if you don't sing, if you don't sing, you're not going to be a good singer. You know, it's like people talk about you can, you can talk about singing all you want, but until you start singing, you got to practice singing. You know, they sell, for example, I take guitar lessons now too. And they sell all these tools to strengthen your fingers, right? You could just play the freaking game. <laughs> you know, it's like you're going to need to do that. You know, yes. So That's, you know, that they is sell great, yeah. all these tools, and when it comes to singing, I just I just sing all the time, and I I sing a lot, and I record myself a lot, and I listen back and. Do, do you do you ever write songs where you're like deliberately, okay, I'm gonna push myself vocally to do something that's hard for me to do that you've got to practice a lot before you can do it, whether it's a note that you hit or a, a particular you know technique or something. I, I write out I write out of my range constantly, and it's a real boon. I it's 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 it, it bothers me because I want to I want to have a bigger vocal range. I want to be Freddie Mercury, but yeah, 
Who does? But I'm not. I know. So I want to have this big, huge vocal range, and I write these songs that are out of my range. And then I, when I come to the editing, you know, point, I think, you know, I or I come to play them live. I think, man, I really can't play. I really can't sing this. And I have to lower the key a few keys and change the melody maybe a little bit to fit my voice. So I'm. I usually am. I use. I usually write out of my range and push myself all the time. But um, I have. I've recently been trying to have some some songs with a bunch of falsetto in them. Uh, this next album is going to have a couple songs, a song called Bronson and a song called Train of Thought that both have really super high screamy vocals. And it's something that I'm I'm really pushing myself to do. But for the most part, I uh, I, I just I, tr- I do my best to write within my vocal range because the songs that I love are a lot of them are out of my vocal range. And I try to write songs like that. And then, then I just kind of suck at them. So. <laughs> um, all right. Two final questions. The first, do you ever think about giving it up, music as a career, and just going back to music as a hobby? Um, I, I consider I consider quitting only if something terrible were to happen in my life, where I could not perform anymore. Um, you know, if 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 my tongue got cut off and my fingers were mangled or something, <laughs> then, you know, then I would sounds I, like I a Johnny Cash song or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would just sit around and talk about the glory days and do nothing with the rest of my life. <laughs> I would do something else. Uh, or if, you know, some, you know, something more terrible were to happen to my family and I had to, you know, and I had to go back to work or something. I, if, if, if somebody said, Hey, you got to make a hundred grand a year for the, for the rest of your life, I would say, I got to go back to law. You know, I, that's, that's what I would do. But until that happens, I don't see, I'm not going to quit. Yeah. I, I, I am, for, I'm a firm believer and it's gotten me this far in life that if you just, if you work hard and you work smart and you do the right things and you just outlast all the other people chugging along, then, I mean, you're going to end up, you're going to end up all right. You're going to come out on top. There are a lot of people making a lot of money in music and about 99% of the people are completely broke and losing. Mm-hmm. But I think that if I work really hard and, and apply myself the way I have in the other, you know, uh, here up until this point in my life, I, I really firmly believe that it's going to work out. And it's every year, every year I, I make a whole lot more money. Now I find new ways to spend it every year. Um, but that's all I'm just investing in my business and my brand and my music. And uh, I, I just think it's going to keep getting better and better. It's 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 gotten better every year that I've played music and I just I I really hope that it doesn't stop and I don't think it will. So I'm going to, I'm going to remind everyone again, before I ask the final question, uh, lucasjackmusic.com. Please go there, check it out. Um, you can listen to a lot of songs. You can find some cool, uh, gear, see upcoming show dates. You can follow Lucas Jack on Facebook, Twitter, uh, et cetera. You can give him feedback on how his social media presence is doing. (laughs) I'm sure he would, I'm sure he would love that. Um, and the I, I keep thinking of that phrase you said before, which I think is just is so inspiring to inspiring to me that that you were propelled by the inertia of safe choices and uh, just kind of had the all all in a moment the the gumption or the the courage to to do something different. I I'm truly truly inspired by that. So here's the final question: What song do you want us to end with? I want to play one of your songs uh, and uh, let let listeners hear it on the way out. What uh, which one of your songs do you think is a good pick? Uh, from a production standpoint, I think my favorite song, you know, is when I say production standpoint, the, the way the instrumentation played out and, 
and this is the way the song sounds more than the lyrics. I do like the lyrics, but I really like the sound of the song, uh, Don't Get Carried Away. I was thinking, We Come Out at Night. I love that one. I just listened to a bunch of your stuff. But now I'll tease people. You should go listen to We Come Out at Night. But we're going we're gonna to play Don't Get Carried Away. Uh, Lucas Jack, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, telling us about what you're doing.